0: If you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I thought this might be our last sermon in 1 Peter. It looks like next week is going to be. Uh, we're going to look at uh, four verses, verse 5 through uh, verse 8 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I entitled the message, One Soul Under God. You know, as Americans, we declare that we are one nation under God, under God, not a nation over God, but under God. And we would all affirm that, right? We would all say, that is good. There should be no nation so proud to be over God. And we say yes, and we say amen. But, it's difficult for us to say yes and amen in our own life. To put our own soul under God. To despise the cry that comes from our flesh, my kingdom come, my will be done. And we get, way less excited about one soul under God when it's our soul, when it's our life. The Apostle Paul at the end of his life, when he says to Timothy, one of the last writings we have from Paul is his second letter to Timothy. And as he describes his life as being poured out, he knows he's going to die. Tradition has it that his head was separated from his body by the Romans. Here's what he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? Here's what he says. I kept the faith. If you want to know how Paul described his life, he described it as a life of faith. And then he says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing." What does that mean? Paul's life was lived by faith with one main thing in mind. Two things, really. The cross, which showed God's love to him, and the day Christ would return. The day he would stand as a steward. His life was a stewardship before God. And he said, I love the day when Christ returned. That's how you could describe my life. And he said, it's going to go good for me because that was my life. That was my focus. That was my faith. And then he says, it'll be the same for all those who, like me, fought the fight of faith, finished the race, living in light of the king who's coming. And then he says, do your best to come to me soon. For, and a lot of times we miss this contrast, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And so he says, I love the appearing of Christ. Others will love the appearing of Christ, but Demas, he's deserted me. Why? He was in love with this present world. It's too costly for Demas to continue to help Paul in his ministry because persecution comes when you align yourself with Paul, Paul's head is about to be taken off his body. He's being poured out as a drink offering. And Demas was not willing to keep the faith, not wanting to keep the faith. He was in love with the present world. And Peter knows his fate is the same as Paul's will be. And he's finishing up this letter to this suffering church that's suffering under persecution with what we saw last week, an exhortation to the shepherds, the pastors, to be humble, to recognize they're going to give an account to God for their care. So shepherd in a loving, self-sacrificial way. And then he calls the church to humility. Humility. And what he said in the last verse we looked at last week is he said, all of you, are clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is what the church is called to. In the midst of pressure, it is hard to be humble. It is easy to fight. It is easy to say, I'm doing more work than such and such a brother. It is easy to say, my brother offended me or my sister offended me. It's easy to say, I've been wronged. It's hard to be humble, especially when there's pressure on the church. I have a Twitter account where I follow all these pastors. In a sense, you could say my heroes in the faith. And as this world applies pressure on the church, I see my heroes begin to fight and begin to use words as though we're not brothers anymore and, and to defend in ways that is ugly. Same for the church. Hard times challenges our faith. And Peter calls for humility because there's a simple truth God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. He opposes the proud unbelievers and he opposes the proud Christians. Now he does it differently. Wrath remains on those who are outside of Christ. Discipline remains on the children of God from a good loving father. To have a perfect father means he disciplines perfectly, which means if you're his children, willingly humble yourself under the hand of the perfect father. If a child knows his father is a good father and that he'll discipline where he's supposed to discipline, then a wise child will obediently follow the father. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12. You can look at that this week if you want to see what that looks like. But we're called to humility, pride, is the opposite of humility. So, this principle we could see in a thousand different places in the Scripture. Often, the psalmist describes it. I'll just share a few psalms. You don't need to turn to these first ones. Uh, I'm just going to be in them real quickly, but just listen to the contrast. Psalm 18, verse 25. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you will bring down. Or Proverbs 31, verse 23. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all who wait for the Lord. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Be strong. Okay, we're supposed to be tough. Yeah, how? By not relying on your own strength, but waiting upon the Lord. Our Psalm thirty four fifteen The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trials, our troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So often in counseling believers, their struggles are many. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Often the brokenhearted are those who I sit down to, counsel with but there's good news for the lord is near to the brokenhearted to those who are crushed in spirit the lord is for the humble in heart and the final one just showing this principle that god gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud Psalm 49, and if you want to turn here with me, I want to show this one to you. Psalm 49, beginning in verse 12. Man in his pomp will not remain. Pomp being pride. This is Psalm 49, verse 12. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. I just want to make a practical comment here. And I'm not making a political statement. I'm not telling you who to vote for, who not to vote for. What I would tell you as a pastor is that the policies of leaders matter. They have an effect. I would tell you that the most important issue is the protection of the unborn. The ones who can't defend themselves. God's heart is with them. I would tell you that God is for the protection of religious liberty so that the word of God can be preached and so that we can send missionaries in a more uh, abundant way. Those things are going to control the way I vote, but I'm not making a political point when I say this because now I'm acting as a shepherd over sheep and I doubt there's very many in here that don't want to protect the unborn and I doubt there's very few in here that want to see religious liberty go away but I'm sure there's people in here like me who begin to become prideful with the prideful because what I just read said this in verse 49. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast. Our danger as if you're a conservative Christian is that you love the pride of maybe what your political party or leaders have. Maybe it's not the policies that you're so passionate about. My question is this. The boastful will go down. And many, Many will be deceived by the devil, Devil, following and glorying in that boasting pride. That's the danger of my heart that I have to fight against. Our king will tear down every proud, arrogant man on that day. There is one kingdom that will stand in its Christ kingdom. So go vote the best you can for the kingdom of God. But don't let your hearts go after. And don't let your hope rest in man that will be here for a moment and be gone. Let people who know us know that our passion is about Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for us as followers of Christ. And so he says, like sheep, the boastful and those who approve of their boasting, like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go down to the generations of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp yet without understanding is like a beast or is like beasts that perish. And this is the principle that all Christians should know. God opposes the proud and gives grace To the humble. So be led by the true shepherd. Let your hearts align with the humility of Christ. Stand for his kingdom. Be passionate about him. Remember why you're here. You're to be his witnesses to go to the ends of the earth. That's what you're supposed to be an evangelist for. For Christ. And as Christians, those who oppose us politically, and you could call them opponents politically or not, are opponents as sinners without Christ because that was us. That's what we were saved from. And so we must. Tremble before the words Peter gives us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so then he gives this command. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. This is where the title of my message, one soul under God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We've talked about this over and over again going through 1 Peter. Timing, if the Christian doesn't know the timing of God, you will fall to the satanic lie that God is not good as you're suffering. You'll be surprised at your suffering. You'll be surprised at the opposition you face in this world. But he says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The proper time for your exaltation is not now. Yeah, but... They don't know that I'm righteous. They don't know that I have a good heart. They don't know that I'm trying to follow God. They're not praising me. It's not your time to be exalted. It's your time to identify with Christ and to be found worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ for His namesake. At the proper time. Now's not the time. At the proper time, He will exalt us. I want to point out these three words so that He humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Listen, Christians, we don't exalt ourselves. He exalts us. We humble ourselves under a mighty hand. It's His job to lift up. It's His job to bring recompense upon the wicked and our enemies. He fights our battles against our enemies. We humble ourselves under His mighty hand at the proper time we will be vindicated we will be exalted and this is the key because you and I will go astray when we in our own wisdom in our own power in our own strength and in our own defense try to show people that we're good and that we're the ones and that this isn't fair well it's true it's not fair But justice is coming, right? Perfect justice will come upon the enemies of Christ, upon those whom hate God and reject God. And this is the point that we're going to look at next week because we're going to get to verse 10. Look at 1 Peter 5.10. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore you. Will Himself. He will do it. He will exalt you. He Himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. But what's the point of verse 10? After you suffered a little while. He's talking about timing. You will be established. You will be confirmed by Christ. But right now is this little while time when we ought not expect perfect health. When we ought not expect life without pain. When we ought not expect This world that right now is dancing to the beat of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. We ought not expect that they applaud us as Christians. This is the time when in the midst of suffering, we look with loving eyes and say, we're just like you are, except we've received mercy and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. and so we get the one main command in our text is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of god so that he can exalt us you know as looking at acts 1 this week in verse 6 and the this is right before christ ascends into heaven and the apostles and the disciples are confused because things aren't going good for them politically and in the world. And they're struggling with this. And here's what he says. All right, here's what they say to him. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's where Christians get their marching orders. He says, you will receive power when you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and really try hard. That's not what he says. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that power will create courageous, loving witnesses that'll go to the ends of the earth. Yeah, but what about the kingdom? What about the political unrest? What about. Listen, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. That doesn't mean we don't function in society. You ought to vote. You ought to vote according to what you know from Scripture, how God, what would be best for fellow man and glorifying to God. But that's not the main purpose why you're left on this earth. But the point that stuck out to me is this. The power, never, read the rest of Acts. Every powerful, courageous thing they do, you know what you're going to see? The Holy Spirit. Because that's where the Christian life is lived in the power of the Spirit. And so if we ask the question, what does it look like? Get practical. What does it look like to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? He's already given two practical rubber meets the road things. He's already called the elders to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God by shepherding in a way that would glorify Him. Not like this, but like this. Not like this, but like this. Not like this, but like this. We've already had three examples, what it looks like for elders to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And then the address to young men to... Humble themselves to get in line, in a sense, with godly men. And we've all already been called to clothe ourselves with humility. Well, this is just a third rubber rubber meets the road. Here's Here's another way to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Casting all your anxieties on Him. Because He cares for you. Well, now that's interesting. Have you ever thought of it as an act of humility to cast your anxieties on him? Notice the motivation for he cares for you. So let's unpack this. Casting. It's the Greek word epirepito. And it literally means that Throwing something on something else or on someone else. It, it, that's, that's, what, that's what the word literally means. In fact, in Luke 19.35, we read, and they brought it to Jesus, this donkey, and throwing their cloaks on it. That's the word, throwing. And uh, so I did. I am going to do a little illustration here. This is the word for casting, all right? This is how they got the donkey ready for Jesus. They casted or threw the mats on the donkey. Well, we're to cast our anxiety on Him. Here's what it looks like to fight by faith as a Christian. Well, I'm getting anxious about this thing. Well, I can't carry it. I'm not meant to carry it. This is a battle with the mind. This is just an illustration. So with the mind, I'm worried about my health. All right, cast it. Cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. All right, I'm going to go. Lay down now. I'm starting to worry again. Well, what are we doing? We're taking this. We're, we're throwing it on ourselves. What am I to do? I'm to repent because this is sinful. It's prideful. I'm not meant to carry what God is meant to carry. He cares for you. He's there. It's pride to say, oh, I'm going to wrestle out this anxiety that's on my shoulders, this, this, and this, if I think about it long enough, if I run worst case scenarios through my mind long enough, then I'll finally feel okay. Wrong. That never works. That's not what living by faith looks like. That doesn't glorify God. That's Pride. You're not meant to carry your anxiety. You're meant to throw it on the one who does carry those things, the one who cares for you. And this is where you've you've heard me say, we will cast with my daughters at night when we pray, what are you worried about? Cast cast your cares upon him. Well, here's another way illustration to think about. Do this with your children. They're not just going to come up to you and tell you what they're worrying about. You need to teach them that God carries our anxieties. We need to help them cast them and let Christ carry them, which means the battle of faith is in the mind. The devil's battling you. The, The fundamental thing he's attacking you on is in the mind. And the thing is, is when we cast our cares upon Him, we get exalted because we're humbling ourselves under Him and He gets glory. In Psalm 50, I love this, in verse 10, the psalmist says this, For every beast of the field is mine. This is God speaking through the psalmist. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? And then here's what he says. Here's the key. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God hated these sacrifices that were being offered up to him without trust in him. He says, you want to glorify me? Here's what you do. In the day of trouble, come to me for help. That's what glorifies me. View your whole life not as what you've done with your own hand, But as, uh, with thankful hearts, thank Him, realizing it's a gift from Him. And so it's humble when we cast our cares upon Christ. We're being proud when we think we can carry them. And by the way, it says because He cares for you, we could spend A year on that topic? Let me just take you to a few passages in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she was received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You want to know the heart of God? Well, this is the passage that... Is prophesying of John the Baptist that's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And then at verse 9, here's what the messenger is supposed to say. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, O herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up and fear not. Say to the cities of of Judah, Behold your God, for behold... The Lord God comes with might in His arms rule for Him. And His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. So you have this mighty God coming with strong arms, ready to beat down the enemy and to give reward to His people. So He's saying, people of God, behold your God. And then he says this in verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So the God with these big arms that will destroy the enemies is the same God who's like a tender shepherd that grabs lambs and carries them tenderly and loves them. And then, it's taking everything in me not to just preach Isaiah 40, because it's one of the sweetest chapters in the Bible. He goes off, showing us how strong his arms are. (laughs) I'll just give you the first, the the next verse. I got to show it to you. Then he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? (laughs) Who's gone to the universe and measured it like this? This is a span. Who has held all the waters in His hands? Christians, cast your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you. That's the one. You see, when He's so strong, and He's so loving, and He's proved His love to you by giving His only begotten Son, and trouble comes and we don't go to Him, Do you see why that is so wrong? Do you see why worry is a sin? He is good and he loves us. And Peter says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. And if we were going to flesh that out, what will that take? Well, then he says, be sober-minded and watchful. Be sober-minded. I thought I was pretty clever in point two in your notes there. Think and drive rather than drink and drive. Think and drive carefully your thoughts to God. He says, be sober-minded. Nepho is the word for sober, to be in control of one's thought processes and thus not in danger of irrational thinking. Does anyone struggle with drunk thinking? Having irrational thoughts run through your mind over and over and over again? You see, we think it's dangerous to get into a car drunk and drive because we could kill somebody. And yet, so often, we run worry through our mind as though it's less dangerous. We let our minds go to worst case scenarios and we let them run through our brain like this and we forget the Christian life is lived by faith. And to live by faith, you have to think right. The most dangerous thing we can do it's to let our mind go. The devil says, you can't control your mind anyways. Your grandma was a worrier. Your mom was a worrier. And now you're a worrier. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's true they were worriers. But that lie in there says, you can't control how you think. The Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible tells you to be sober minded. To think carefully to think rightly on the truths in God's word in proverbs 4 verse 23 solomon writes keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life keep your heart with all vigilance then i believe says above all else guard your hearts for from it flows the springs of life. Your entire life comes out of your heart. And you've heard me say this a lot, but you need to understand that when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about your thinking, about your affections or desires, and your actions come out of your heart. And if you were to read all of Proverbs 4, the way you guard your heart is you guard your heart by believing God's Word by faith. And it's craziness. No soldier goes into the battlefield without a gun, without a helmet, on enemy territory, just like, man, it's a nice day. And yet Christians wake up in the morning and we stroll out into the world where we're going to see next week there's a roaring lion that wants to devour us, that we're in a battle spiritually, that the battle is for our minds, We just kind of let our minds go wherever we want. Oh, what's the headline in the news today? I'm going to think about that for a while. Then I'm going to think about this. Then I'm going to think about this. And then I wonder why I struggle with anxiety. You see, you guard your heart by how you think. And when you think God's thoughts and you love them with your affections, then you'll begin acting according to God's words. The battle is for your mind. We must be sober minded. We must be careful. We must be ready. It's much more dangerous to let our minds be taken away by the ideologies of this world and just the stupidity, the things that fill our mind rather than with the things that protect our life. Our entire life flows out of our soul. When a pastor says get into the word, he doesn't say that because Christians, here's what they do. They read their Bible. They you know, they don't drink. They do this this this. No, you got to understand that your faith is under attack. Your whole life flows out of your heart. You read your Bible cuz you want to survive today in faith. Casting your anxiety on God. You see? You got to imagine how crazy it is when we just pile these things on our shoulders over and over and over again. And we begin to say, God doesn't even seem real anymore. Well, of course, He doesn't. You put a thousand lies into your mind and you don't read a psalm and remember who God is. Of course, you're anxious. You can't bear those up. You were never meant to. God carries His people. He's the one who began your faith. He's the one that will bring it to completion. But we're called to do something in this text, to humble ourselves under His mighty hand. See, that's something we can do. Okay, God, i got to trust in You. Casting our anxiety on Him. And we're held responsible to control how we think to control what goes into our minds. So it's no wonder in Philippians 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's what you do with Him. He knows we're human. He knows the anxious thoughts come. He knows the... Where he comes, he just tells us what to do with them. Well what what will happen if I do that? Look at what it says. Verse seven, Philippians four. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the world can't understand it, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. See, we're commanded how to think. Well, what lives up to those things? Only two things, and they're both... you You can never split them from each other. God is the only one who is ultimately true, honorable, just, pure, lovely. And His Word flows from that God, and His Word is the same. That's how we live the Christian life, by faith. I want to finish with one last illustration here of what this looks like walking in it. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul says, "'Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap.'" Now here's what Paul's doing. In chapter 5, he said, "'Don't walk according to the flesh.'" Walk according to the Spirit. They're at odds with each other. They have nothing in common. So to walk with the Spirit means to go with the Spirit's words. To live by faith according to the Gospel, according to the Word of God. That's what it means to walk with the Spirit. It doesn't mean to sit in your closet and wait for feelings to come. It means to look at God's Word and trust in them by faith. If you want to walk with the Spirit, you walk with Him through his words. The Holy Spirit inspired all the Scripture. Well, he gets chapter 6, and now he gives a different illustration. It's not a walking illustration. It's a farming illustration. And the first principle he says is, do not be deceived. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Bean goes into the ground. If you say corn is coming up, you mock God. That's how you mock God. Nope. The seeds aren't according to their kinds. I'm going to put a bean in and a corn plant's coming. But why is he saying this? Because we as Christians believe this lie. It seems so silly when you look at the illustration. Because then here's what he says. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. How do you sow to your own flesh? I'm going to go with my own thoughts, my own wisdom, my own ideas, my own strength. That's so how you sow to your flesh. So Christian, you have a field called flesh field. Every time you run anxiety through your mind, you're going with your own wisdom, your own way, you're your planting flesh. That's how you do it. You're planting in the flesh field. And he says, don't be deceived, because if you do that, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. It's a guarantee. It'll never turn out good. It's a promise. But then I love this. But the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. So when you get up in the morning you say, what good is it for me to do my devotions in the morning? Say this to yourself, God is not mocked. What one sows, that will he also reap. And so I'm going to put God's mind a word into my mind. I'm going to cling to it by faith and in due season. I might not see it today, but spiritual life giving fruit will come up. It's a guarantee and it's a promise of God. But that crappy show you watch or that movie or those lies you look at on social media all day long, don't be deceived. What you put in your mind will come up. You put corruption in your mind, corruption fruit will come up. And so Paul's telling them it matters how you think and align yourself with the spirit of God. Father, I pray that as Christians, you will help us align ourselves with the spirit of God, that we will humble ourselves under your mighty hand that we will not fall to Satan's lies as he comes and says, God doesn't love you, look at your suffering. Rather, we would know what time it is. We would know that this is expected. We ought not be surprised by it. But Father, I pray that as we come to you and, and give our anxieties to you, Lord, that we would rest in this peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, all these promises are in Christ. For we're all sinners deserving of God's wrath, but You and Your loves sent Your only Son to take our punishment on the cross. Father, we know that Christ died under Your own wrath. And we know that He was raised from the dead to show that He has defeated death. Father, I pray that no one here would swing out into eternity in their own pride, in their own confidence, thinking they're going to be able to exalt themselves before the God of the universe. Father, I pray that you would humble us, that we would admit that we're broken and we're sinners and we have no hope apart from the redeeming work of Christ. Father, help us all cling to Christ by faith. Help us get to the end of our life and say, I fought the fight, I finished the race. You look at my life, it's a life of being poured out like a drink offering. Because our hope is in Christ who will return. Our world is not down here on this earth. Father, we await Christ. Give us wisdom as we live here. Give us faithfulness as we're witnesses here. Pray this in Christ's name, amen.